Walk the streets of Jerusalem today and ask anybody, who was Israel's greatest king? And most likely they will answer, David, the man after God's own heart. Not surprisingly, the King David Jerusalem Hotel is one of the leading hotels in the world and is the universal choice of elite travelers who visit the holy city from all corners of the globe. Guests enjoy modern luxury along with the splendor of a bygone era. Naming the hotel after King David makes perfect sense. However, naming it after King Saul would have been a poor marketing decision. Saul was a man after his own heart and sought sorcery for counsel. Though not morally perfect, David never once fell into idolatry. Is your heart more like Saul's or David's? I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. He committed adultery and murder, then tried to cover it up. And yet, he was still called a man after God's own heart. Hello, I'm Brian Davis. Welcome to Something Good Radio with Dr. Ron Jones. You may be asking, how is this possible? How can someone who fell so badly be called a man after God's own heart? Answers come your way next as Ron continues his teaching series, Route 66, the ultimate road trip through the Bible. Stay right here or listen on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, check out Something Good Television, Something Good Courses, Something Good Travel, and the new Something Good Digital Library, where you can search for biblical answers to your questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. From Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia, where he serves as lead pastor, here's Ron with part two of his message. Second Samuel, my heart like God's. The glory of the Davidic dynasty faded and the chastisement of God fell upon David and a sword remained at his household. This, this is the sad tale of chapters 13 through the end of the book of 2 Samuel. For example, the baby born to David and Bathsheba died despite David's sincere prayer to the otherwise. One of David's sons, Amnon, raped his sister Tamar. And then Absalom, another one of his sons, killed Amnon, reminiscent of the time in Genesis chapter 4 when Cain slew his brother Abel. I mean, the ramifications of David's sin are, are so many. And they continued when Absalom, the king's son, leads a revolt against the throne by stealing the hearts of the men of Israel, the Bible tells us. And, and when you read chapters 13 to 24, uh, it's, it's the sad tale of the disintegration of David's life. Will God remain faithful to his covenant? Absolutely. The Messiah will come through the Davidic line. But um, there's consequence upon consequence despite the forgiveness and the restoration of fellowship. Upon hearing the news of the rising rebellion... This is Absalom who rises up against his own father. David flees Jerusalem and Absalom assumes his father's throne. Can you imagine this? Such infighting within the royal family. God protected David from Absalom's pursuit and it gave David time to gather his forces. David's army went to war against Absalom's army. 
And David won. And Absalom was near death at the end of the battle. And the Bible says that Joab thrust three javelins into Absalom's heart. Uh, the next day, David learned of his victory, his army's victory on the battlefield. He also learned of uh, Absalom's death by, by two messengers who arrived just moments apart. The only thing David was interested in when news came was, how's my son Absalom? And when he learned of Absalom's death, oh, it's painful to read chapter 18 and verse 33, oh, my son Absalom. It says, the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he wept, he said, oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would that I would have died instead of you, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Now, it is painful enough to watch any parent grieve over the loss of a child. But here we have front row seats to the disintegration of David's family as a consequence of his sin. And we watch the members of David's own family rise up against each other with such tragic, tragic results. But still, if you walk the streets of Jerusalem today and ask somebody who was Israel's greatest king, they'll say David. And even the New Testament looks back on the larger arc of David's life and says, this was a man who hotly pursued after God. He was a man after God's own heart. How do we have a heart like God's? How can you and I uh, have a, uh, that kind of estimation of our own life where we are men and women who have hearts like God's, we are a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart? What can we learn from the life of David? Let me just suggest two or three things. Uh, first of all, model God's grace. Model his grace. Throughout 2 Samuel, I am impressed with David's respectful grace toward his enemies, starting with Saul. <laughs> I mean, Saul was dogging David for years. And you read about that in 1 Samuel chapter 16 through the end of 1 Samuel. Saul was after David, the times that he took a spear and chucked it across the room, aimed right at the heart of David, and David, you know, dodges out of the way. I mean, David spent years. He was the anointed now, but it was years before he assumed the throne, and he had to keep dodging Saul. But when David learns of Saul's death in battle, there's no hint of rejoicing in David. In fact, he grieves over the loss of the Lord's anointed and when the messenger comes and brings news of Saul's death, you know what? Uh, David is listening carefully, and he hears that the messenger had a, had a part in all of that. And the messenger underestimated David's response. He thought when he brought news of, hey, David, I just killed one of your enemies, David would rejoice in that. Instead, uh, the Bible says that uh, David called for the man's execution who had raised his hand against the Lord's anointed. Still, David had respectful grace towards Saul, toward his enemies. Jesus told us to pray for our enemies, didn't he? Even more impressive is David's kindness toward, and here's a mouthful, Mephibosheth. I don't know too many parents who name their kids Mephibosheth. Maybe we should, because Mephibosheth uh, is a great picture of God's grace, at least the way David um, related to him. He was the crippled son of Jonathan. 
David's dear friend, Jonathan, was Saul's son. So Mephibosheth was the grandson of King Saul. And David learned about him by asking this question in chapter 9 and verse 1. Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, this is, this is remarkable in and of itself because back then, you know, when you were trying to uh, assume a throne and, and to maintain power, you wiped out any of the royal competitor's family. David's looking for somebody who still remains from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness or grace. To Mephibosheth, David restored all of Saul's land. And to this crippled young boy, he said, you can eat at the king's table for the rest of your life. He provided for this this young boy. Who does that? Who does that but a man after God's own heart who's so gracious to the descendants of the man who was his arch enemy for so many years? Even in war, David was gracious. Many criticized the barbaric wars of the Old Testament. Have you ever read through the Old Testament? You're like, wow, just the slaughterhouse that this is. And they criticized those, and and rightly so. Uh, War is never anything less than brutal. David was a warrior shed a lot of blood. That's why the Lord told him, you're not going to build my house. I'll build a house for you, but your descendant, uh, Solomon, will build the temple. You know, David, you've shed too much blood. But in David's treatment of the Moabites in chapter 8 and verse 2, we see his leniency. And some even see the advancement of humanitarianism toward your defeated foes. It was common, again, in David's time to slay all of your enemies, including the women and children. Because if military commanders did not, they would leave open uh, possibly the back door to somebody in the family regrouping and rising up against the throne. And so it was just best to wipe them out. However, when David defeated the Moabites, chapter 8 tells us that he divided the Moabites into three camps, the third camp being the largest, and it was the third camp that he spared. It may not seem like much to us today. You say, well, yeah, but he wiped out the other two. But understand the times. These were some barbaric times. This, some people see as an advancement in humanitarianism and kindness and grace that David was showing to take the largest group of Moabites and say, we're not going to do to you what others have done. You'll be our servants, but we're not going to kill you. The grace of God, the kindness of God as demonstrated through David. I'm just saying, if we want a heart like God's, model the grace of God and the kindness of God, even towards those who have hurt you. We talk here at Atlantic Shores about the five G's. We gather, grow, we give, we go. And we say, let's do all of that within a grace-filled community. Are you part of that grace-filled community? When people come to our church, do they uh, have some experience with the grace of God because of your kindness to them? Uh, I want to be a part of a church like that, where it's a safe place for broken people. It's not a place for perfect people because none of us is perfect. And this church, and probably the last one you went to, and the one before that, and the next one you go to, has a long history of hurting people hurting people. And sometimes people run away from churches because of that. I've been hurt too much. Let's make sure this is a place that wherever you are, coming or going, or 
that the grace of God just, just oozes from every pore of our being, the kindness, even toward those, and I know it's hard sometimes, to pray for your enemies, to pray for those who have despitefully used you and spit upon you and hounded you and thrown spears at you with the intent of destroying you and your family. That's when the kindness of God and the grace of God shines the most, and it shined through David. Dr. Ron Jones will be right back with the second half of today's message, Second Samuel, My Heart Like God's. Remember, you can stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to find out more about the ministry, to ask our ministry team to pray for you, or to order selected resources from our online store. Here's something else for you. When you make a donation to Something Good Radio today, we'll say thank you by giving you access to a new resource that goes along with this current series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. It's Dr. Ron Jones' ebook based on the Old Testament historical books, Joshua Through Esther. Request it today for your gift to Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org. Mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456 or call our offices at 757-276-1099. And now here's Ron with the rest of today's message, Second Samuel, my heart like God's. Secondly, I gotta move on here, guard your heart. How do you become a man or a woman after God's own heart? You model the grace of God when it's hardest and you guard your heart the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Guard it. Guard it carefully. You've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, but the sin nature remains. Guard your heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 says, Therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You think it won't happen to you? Just read the story of David. He had every advantage, every success. But David's sinful mistake with Bathsheba became possible when he isolated himself. 2 Samuel 11 begins with these words, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. David wasn't where he was supposed to be. Isolation led to idleness. Idleness led to inquiry about a beautiful woman he watched bathing from his palace window. And the snare, the trap was there. Um, he didn't guard his heart, didn't guard his heart, didn't guard his time didn't understand how the isolation would lead to idleness and the idleness to inquiry and all of that, it can happen to any one of us if we fail to guard our hearts and fail to take heed. Thirdly, lead with integrity. And this is David. You may read chapters 11 and 12, uh, which are just uh, two of, uh, may, a little, uh, maybe two years of David's 70-year uh, life, two of his 40 years of reigning. Isolate that and say, no, nah, he, he's not a man of integrity. 
A man of integrity is not a perfect person or a sinless person. I mean, who among us would rise to that standard but Jesus? But integrity means you deal with your, your uh, mistakes and your sins openly and honestly. Blamelessness is not perfection, but blamelessness means I don't blame others <laughs> when I'm the one to blame. And I'm willing to take responsibility for that. Lead with integrity. Lead with integrity. Now some of you are saying, Pastor, I'm not a leader. Yeah, you are. Somebody's influenced by the example you're setting. Even if it's your kids or your grandkids. Uh, set that example with integrity. And understand that Leadership casts a long, long shadow for generations to come. We're talking about David all these generations later. David's leadership in a positive way casts a long shadow all the way to Bethlehem. When the son of David was born in the city of David, and he went to the cross and died on the cross for our sins and was buried and rose again on the third day and then ascended to the Father and said, I'm coming again. And we wait for his second coming. And when he returns, he will sit on David's throne. Listen to this real quickly. A little Christmas reflection here. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and following. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Do you remember this? On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forward and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You have to understand prophetically, this is talking about two times, the first advent of Christ and his second advent. When he comes again, the long shadow that is cast by David's leadership, Jesus will come and sit on David's throne and rule this earth for a thousand years, the Bible says. This is the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Your throne, the Lord says, will be established forever, the throne of David. So don't underestimate the long shadow your leadership casts in the lives of your kids, your grandkids, or whomever you have influence over. It's generational. So model the grace of God. Um, guard your heart. And lead with integrity. And remember that if you ever make it to the holy city of Jerusalem and you ask somebody, who was Israel's greatest king? Expect them to say, David, the man after God's own heart. Hope that their next sentence to you is, and welcome to the King David Jerusalem Hotel. We have your room for you. Wouldn't that be nice? But then quickly remember that maybe, maybe one day they'll change the name to the King Jesus Jerusalem Hotel. That would be even more appropriate, wouldn't it? Because David points us to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, and the question I leave with you today is this. Is Jesus really King in your life? 
Is he really sitting on the throne in your life? Is he first? There's only one throne. And you're either sitting on it or Jesus is. And you have a decision to make. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We can do it now or later. Always best to do it now, right? And I can't, one, I can't wait one day to check in to the King Jesus Heavenly Hotel because he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good radio message, 2 Samuel, My Heart Like God's. Ron, there's so much here in the book of 2 Samuel concerning the life of David. But of course, the one primary theme is that he was a man after God's own heart. Let's explore this idea a little further as we wrap up today's Something Good radio broadcast. Brian, I'll first reference something the Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 13 and verse 22. Speaking at the synagogue in Antioch, Paul said, uh, God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, Brian, that's a fascinating statement when we consider David's sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. Clearly, David did not morally do everything God wanted him to do, nor did he refrain from doing everything God did not want him to do. But the moral aspect of David the man, while important, was not God's priority for choosing the king of Israel. God chose a king that would obey him and honor him as the true head of the nation. In this, David excelled. He never showed any indication that he was even tempted to worship an idol. He defended God's honor even above his own, and he took very seriously God's charge to Israel that if they obeyed and honored God, they would have success in war and vice versa. David led God's people precisely the way God wanted the king to lead his people. As king, he did, in fact, do everything God wanted him to do. Now, let me wrap it up here with a a different aspect of David's heart, the moral aspect or the spiritual aspect. If anyone wants to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, perfection is not the requirement. No one but Jesus could accomplish that. Uh, The number one requirement, we might say, is direction. In other words, what do you do after you sin? What David did eventually was to take full and complete responsibility for his own sin. He didn't blame a bad childhood or King Saul or Bathsheba. He didn't blame anyone or anything but himself. And he repented before God, taking individual responsibility for his action and asking God to restore a right spirit within him. So if you want to be known as a man or woman after God's own heart, spiritually speaking, that is an absolutely essential character trait. When you fail, when you sin, look in the mirror, not out your window. That's what a man or woman after God's own heart would do. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some final thoughts about what it means to be a person after God's own heart. Well, Ron, the road trip continues next time we're together. Tell us a little bit of what we can expect. 
Well, Brian, our next stop on the ultimate road trip through the Bible is the book of First Kings. Whereas Israel was united under King David and experienced unprecedented peace and prosperity, a trend that continued when his son Solomon succeeded him, well, the nation ultimately divided, becoming two kingdoms. Now, the divide did not happen until after the reign of King Solomon and into his son's reign, But Solomon's slide into immorality and idolatry near the end of his life contributed to the divide. So as we move ahead in the ultimate road trip through the Bible, I'll take a close look at the reign of King Solomon and explain how the nation of Israel ultimately divided into two kingdoms instead of remaining one united kingdom. It's a sobering reminder of what can happen to any nation, including ours. Join us then for something good when Ron shares his message, First Kings, United or Divided. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. God bless and thanks for listening.